Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraj and on this podcast I speak with some amazing founders from the Indian Valley trying to derive the most practical insights to company building. In this episode I speak with Anand Jain, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Clevertan. The future of SaaS as they say is from India. Anand and team were quick to realize this and capitalize it from the very start. Global from day 1, Clevertap is a customer lifecycle management and mobile marketing company which combines the analytics and engagement and communication all in one, making life easier for the brands who want to engage effectively with their consumers. When Clevertap set out, all of the above functions were present in silos, which is where Clevertap saw an opportunity. This led to Clevertap developing a category of its own by building proprietary tech leveraging the product thinking of the co-founders. Anand Jain is one of the co-founders of Clevertap, currently serving as the chief strategy officer. Anand has had a variety of experiences under his belt, including working at large corporations, starting his own startup before called Bob, and finally with Clevertap. Defined by Narayan Thamaya whom I hosted for the 15th episode Anand is a great storyteller and go-getter. I especially love the clarity of thought and understanding of things evident throughout the episode. But more importantly, the humble nature and the kind persona is something that really stood out about Anand. I had a ton of great learnings from the episode as we discussed a host of things including category creation, stealth duration, product thinking, managing decentralized remote teams, creation of serendipity and much much more. So with that, let's dive in to the 27th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, building a global SaaS company with Clevertap's Anand Jain. This episode is brought to you in association with The Skeptic Investor, authored by Ashutosh and Mishal, which is a weekly newsletter navigating Indian startups and emerging tech. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Mr. Anand Jain of Clevertap on the show. Thank you so much, Anand, for joining me. It's such a pleasure to host you. Jivraj, thank you for inviting me uh, to this wonderful podcast. You're doing, uh, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, happy to be here. absolutely glad to hear that and very excited for this episode especially because i'm really fascinated by what you're building right so before we dwell into the specifics of my curiosity and what i want to talk about clevertap i'd love to address the point head on right and i'm sure you've heard this a million times now but building a truly global saas company from india must have been a cheat and there must have been a lot of nuances involved so for starters if you can probably give us a gla- glimpse of you know how it has been through your journey and how the nuances of building a global company from india has been that be wonderful to start off and then we can go into a couple of specifics sounds good uh, i think one of the uh, one of the key points of building a global saas company is to be global from day one uh, so you don't build out something and say okay now i'm going to worry about scaling it globally or i'm going to now change my product or fit it depending upon the geography i'm expanding into Uh, your product has to be global you have to apply uh, now you may not start selling globally you might start selling domestically right or you may 
to a pilot of the product in a in a local in the local market where you're based out of right just so that it's easier logistically to collect feedback to make sure that you know you are adapting the you know adapting to the use cases and you're solving customer problems all of that but when you build like you know everything every part of your product uh, has to be built for a you know for a global audience and when i say global i'm not talking about a, a western audience or a, the, you know the north american audience you know there are, you'll find if your product is good you will find takers for it in every part of the world and uh, you know that was our mantra from day one to build it like that and we did not take any shortcuts in in doing that fair enough fair enough so that that thought process has to be ingrained from day one as you mentioned and that's a great cue but moving to you know let's say present day and when you started off there was not a lot of buzz around you know building global from india or let's say saas there was always this hope but now there's a lot of buzz around it and people are predicting the fact that you know the next decade is going to be in india's favor especially with the advent of you know saas companies actually going global so i'd love to understand from you because you've been you know an entrepreneur for the better part of the last two decades and you've seen so much and in terms of how the indian ecosystem has evolved and given that the show is also called indian silicon valley uh, it'll be a treat to understand from you as to how what you perceive the indian ecosystem to have done in the last couple of years and where do you see this going yeah so uh, i think uh, you're right like you know when we started about 7 uh, and a half years ago there was not too much buzz around saas companies there were a few freshworks being some one of them uh, there was zoho Right. and there were a few others right uh, browser stack etc right but the volume that we see today in 2021 right was not there uh, so it was a little tricky because uh, you wanted to build something that's on the cloud you wanted to make it available to rest of the world where are you going to go find talent for that right where are the product managers where are the engineers who can think uh, uh, you know uh, of how they will help you realize your vision things like that Uh, so it was a little tricky i think uh, you know as founders we've uh, had uh, global experience i have lived and worked in the us so as my other founder who's now actually based out of the us and the third founder also has uh, you know good experience uh, uh, working across multiple domains things like that so i think that helps right and uh, the early set of people uh, the engineers we we hired like you know were um, also came from that kind of a mindset so that's something as you start up you have to figure out that part right that um, uh, who are you hiring and uh, do they come with some sort of a not even global experience but global mindset right do, is their bar very high uh, because the early days is like you know setting up the foundation or building the foundation of your building if the foundation is weak the building won't go very tall so that's that uh, i think uh, last couple of years we have seen an explosion of talent uh, uh, we always had good uh, engineers i would say but uh, product is what uh, engineering is like uh, you know the nuts and the bolts right product is the finished version of the thing that you see and you use and i think uh, last 2 3 years we have uh, india has produced some incredible product talent and that is visible in the quality of the software quality of the products that are coming out uh, from india whether they are b2c products whether they are business products or saas products uh, and uh, i've seen the transformation live you know i moved back from the us in 2005 6 Uh, the year 6 actually 2006 and the last 14 years has been incredible in terms of just seeing how how the talent has blossomed in india how a lot of uh, you know people have refined thinking uh, and that leads to a better quality of products more scalable products and built uh, product builds for the for the rest of the world 
Fair enough, fair enough. So the talent pool rising and that's again a great cue for all the youngsters listening like myself because that gives hope and conviction in the fact that the Indian ecosystem is just getting started. Uh, moving from there, you know, let's get into a couple of specifics for Clevertap, right? And one of the main things, like instead of asking you what Clevertap does, which I'm sure a lot of the of people do, I'll try and make an effort into, you know, describing it in brief and maybe ask you the follow-on question, which is in terms of category creation, right? So from what I could gather you know there is this analytics pool which is separate for any company you know uh, there is a group of data which is coming through which tells you what the users are doing on your platform and on the other hand there is the communication how do you interact with that data pool right how do you exactly communicate engage with them and you combined both of these two into clevertap and made this tool which was which would make life easy for every brand out there and other use cases which are applicable for businesses so when you created this category what was the internal thought process like and you know how was the first what was the first thesis in your mind like and how did that play out in the market for you great question uh, you know uh, when we uh, so clevertap was born uh, because not because of a gap in the market or something that we thought would give us uh, market share or we were out there to disrupt anyone we just thought that's the right way to do things so as uh, as product builders engineers uh, in our past job we saw that there was a lot of stitching about that you had to do uh, you had to collect data from analytical uh, products, analytics products rather, uh, stitch them with marketing uh, automation products. Uh, then there is some BI tools, data science, you know, put it all together. And those were always messy, right? Uh, as uh, I mean, I was the CTO of my previous company. Uh, uh, and even though you have the best of the intentions, you want to kind of get that project right. You never have enough time. You don't want to, you know, that is very brittle in terms of the integrations, things like that. And, and if you think about it from first principles, or if you say, okay, well, I want to give my experience as a consumer app, like uh, I want to give my experience users a, a very good experience, right? I want to talk to them meaningfully. I want to talk to them in the context of what they came looking for. And I want to do it at the right time. How do I do that? Well, you cannot start talking to the user unless you start understanding what they, you know, where they came from, who are they, what do they, uh, you know, want from your product? So to give an analogy, let's say you are a streaming site and I logged into the, you know, I, I just downloaded your app. I started using it. Uh, the thing would be that I'm using your app to maybe watch today's cricket match or baseball match or whatever. Right. And I think after then, you know, the communication starts. Right. So if I started watching the match and if I dropped off midway, that would be a great time to send a reminder saying that, hey, there's an interesting moment in the match. Like, you know, would you want to come back and uh, start watching the match again? Right. Uh, but if that message went like four hours later after the match is kind of done, uh, it's not uh, very meaningful, right? So this, it's, it's very tricky to understand, right? The communication might be perfect, but delivered at the wrong time or delivered in the wrong channel uh, is, is meaningless, right? I, I'll take one more example. Say uh, you're rushing towards uh, your gate at the airport it's like, you know, 20 minutes left for the flight, uh, for the for the boarding to start and you're rushing towards it. And for some reason, let's say that, uh, you know, uh, the, there is a gate change. Uh, so from 38, it's now 69B. And if they sent you an email, now both device, you know, like uh, as opposed to if they send you an SMS or a push notification. Okay. Now all the things land on your phone, correct? But email is never looked upon as an as an immediate channel, as an urgent okay. channel, right? Emails are always asynchronous. You say, okay, I'll respond back to it. You know, it's not instant, as you said. Uh, while push notification, SMS are slightly more urgent, right? Like if someone sends you a text notification, you know that, hey, someone's like, you know, waiting for you. 
so depending upon the channel also like you know the urgency can change and if i got a notification as i am about to kind of you know go to the gate 30 uh, a uh, and you know say hey hang on uh, 69 b is 15 minutes away but uh, that's where the flight's taking off from uh, that be a delightful moment for me yeah. right um, and and so these are the very small cases right this is not about like you know hey uh, you know 50% off 20% off buy one yeah. get one free which are the you know examples bandied about so that's first principle thinking right how do we achieve that and if you work backwards from there you know from the end goal you say okay well i need analytics because i need to know where my user is i need to know where you know where are they right now at the airport maybe at their home and so on and so forth and two i need to know what is the context of why they are there so the context is that their flight is about to take off in 2 hours the boarding is going to start in 30 minutes and they probably and there was a gate change there was an external event that happened and let me connect triangulate all of this and then communicate to the user uh, okay. right and so seven and a half years later it makes complete sense right okay well so that means you need to anal- you need to have analytics you need to have personalized communication at scale all happening automatically right in the same product so okay. that was the you know that is what kind of brought us uh, together like uh, the, the founders to start clevertap uh, because we we saw that it's a very hard problem to solve uh, meaningful communication right it's extremely hard one two you cannot do it at scale uh, there was nothing available in the market that did this at scale and it did it in real time as i said like you know if you get the same message 4 hours later uh, it's it's no it's good useless. right it's yeah. con- you'll say it's spam actually right. use this loses the importance very very quickly and if you look at life right everything's re- real time and on demand right now right food For delivery sure. is demand uh, is on demand uh, ride hailing is on demand movie watching is on demand flight or travel is on demand and you want to kind of know immediately where you know i mean you know there are apps that we show you where the driver is on the map right so right. Uh, gone are the days where you would like you know use a landline to call up a restaurant and you know just hope for the best right yeah so yeah. that's where the world is and you know you want you want products that can solve that immediately fair enough fair enough so i guess clevertap is the product which makes us you know go back to our checkout boxes when we've left it behind and we're not exactly you know sure or not and that's the nudge that is required for brands to actually complete and you know do an, a lot of the multiple functions so glad that you know you've created this product but we we've spoken about you know saas we've spoken about the indian ecosystem we've also spoken about clevertap briefly now so now you know if you connect the dots you've also spoken a bit about earlier uh, in your interviews about product thinking and that's something that's really fascinating and most of mm-hmm. the young audience listening because like as i said like you know i'm a 22 year old who's doing these conversations so that we can learn from your experiences and thought processes so when we talk about product thinking uh, in general and in specific can you perhaps give us an example or two or frameworks by which we can actually move towards building what's in our head uh, test it out iterate observe make feedback loops and understand that yes this is going in the right direction if you could perhaps you know take a deep dive into product thinking in general and how you utilized it in specific for clevertap that be a treat to understand again a very good question i think uh, product thinking or call it entrepreneurial thinking right is when right. you notice a problem and you say i'm going to solve it uh, and in a lot of cases you think you know the answer uh, but the reality is that you have a broader way to solve it but you don't know the specifics and if you wanted to really really solve that problem you have to go to people who are going to be using so you are one consumer because you noticed a problem you are going to solve it right but you might you know tomorrow start selling the product you want to go talk to your customers understand how are they actually using it and whether the original thesis stands true 
right so let me take a step back and let's start from the start right when you start what is product based thinking right product based thinking is actually solving it holistically and today product means not just the actual physical thing that you're shipping right uh, it could be uh, you know it could be a physical product for example you know there is a the mouse here right logitech mouse and that is one product that you know the logitech company ships right it could be software right like clevertap ships clevertap product but the entire experience of buying the product you know signing on the dotted line to become a customer uh, understanding how the product works right training of it documentation i think i think you know so product is not just the the simple product you're shipping but the entire experience around right. the product right and in the end did it help you move the metric did it help you solve the problem that you were thinking you were going to solve using that product right so that's a very important last thing that that needs to come back to product managers um and i think a lot of product managers need to realize that you know it's it's uh, you know one thing to compile the code you know get the team to kind of engineering to produce code and ship it but that is the beginning that is not the end uh, after that you need to see a product adoption and how successful were your customers using your product right and uh, of course you know you'll be incredibly lucky if you can get it right the first time in a lot of cases you need to come back take the learnings from the market take learnings from your customers and then build it uh, again like refine it like sandpaper it right uh, come up with version 2 version 3 version 5 of the product right uh, and improve it add incremental features add you know things that will make it better and solve the problem set better for the customer but it also means understanding the problem statement very very well it's not just that you know hey my my you know i have a great color scheme or i have put tool tips everywhere or I, my product works beautifully well right it's also about understanding what was the original use case right what was the problem statement uh, customer was trying to solve your problem for and i think a very important part of the product outside of what i described is also the affordability or the price point at which the product is available right. now if and my favorite analogies are car analogies right so you have to bear with that if you look like you know broad and of course it's a you know it's like a almost 100 year old actually more than 100 year old uh, industry now right uh, and cars come in all shapes all sizes all configurations all colors and now we have the choice of also going for a combustion engine or a non combustion engine like electric vehicle right and each comes with a different price point a different availability and they're all successful cars the different manufacturers they all very very successful right you cannot say that this guy won the market right this is the only winner there are multiple winners and if you think about this that's how software the the software world is also going to be right there might be multiple winners but each comes with its own promise brand promise each each comes with its own price point or price inflection point affordability and that largely depends on the target segment the segment they're targeting right so to put it all together as product you know your thinking should span the breadth of what i said it is not just you know hey can i look at the ui can i look at the mocks like you know the designer gives you some mocks of what the ui is going to look like sure yeah. like you know that's a very narrow function you know that that'll be good if you are like just starting out your product career but if you want to really put on product hat and do a product level thinking you have to think of what will it cost my customer how will how can they kind of start using my product what is that entire purchase experience uh, can they understand how to use my product without you know intervention or even with intervention right like you know i mean aeroplanes are the other good example right like you know to fly a boeing is no easy task right. uh, but once a pilot is trained they fly it with precision right mm -hmm. so and there are like th thousands of planes in the up in the air at any point of time right so it might require training right if you're an enterprise product especially if you're an enterprise product because you know pro these products be become complex very very quickly but once a person is trained can they understand you know to use can they go around navigate the parts of the product and in the end is it moving the needle for my customer uh, 
the reality of SaaS companies uh, uh, or any company for that matter is uh, at the time of renewal, will the customer renew? And uh, and that's called voting with dollars, right? And that's the moment of truth, right? If, when you're selling initially, you know, the customer has no idea. Like, you know, they're looking at a website, the glossy, uh, the glossy brochure, uh, how smooth the sales guy is. But when the time, when it's time to renew, that's when they've used your product. They know whether, you know, what you promised on the brochure actually matches up with the, with the product they're using, right? And I think that's, that's again, the reason I'm describing all this is this is, according to me, entrepreneurial and product thinking, and okay. you cannot separate the two, right? Okay. So if you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking end to end, if you're a product person, uh, you, you should start thinking end to end. And, you know, uh, the more parts of the, the more parts of the, uh, you know, the puzzle that you can control, you know, the higher you will rise up in the organization. Wow, that is very, very vivid and, you know, a, a comprehensive explanation of how product thinking can work. And I love that part of how you're coinciding product thinking and entrepreneurial thinking together. There were a couple of things I want to, you know, take a deep dive into like monetizing the target segment and things like that. But just a quick follow up here, because I know you, you have a great ideology here, but you've spoken about how, you know, you traveled from, let's say, the US to Europe to India and you observed user behavior, right? And given that these are all three geographically, culturally different market segments with different user behaviors. I'd love to understand that as, you know, as a part of product thinking, how do you observe user behavior? How do you take feedback? What are the nuances that go into, you know, probably noticing the smaller things? If you can probably give us a brief of that, that'd be wonderful. Absolutely. I think uh, when you uh, start building, like I said, right, build globally, you may start serving the domestic market first or your local market because that's easier to complete the feedback loop from customers. It might be easier to test the waters and all that. Uh, and you've built something, let's say, you know, it's, it's MVP or it's version one of the product. How do you test whether this will work across geographic boundaries, right? That's a hypothesis that you build it with. But how do you make sure that it actually will work? So the, you know, uh, what I did in the early days of CleverTap was uh, travel extensively. Uh, to different parts of the world and show the product. My goal was not to sell the product. My goal was to just make sure that I'm showing the product. Is that a problem that other people in other industries also face? Are there any local uh, you know, nuances that I should be aware of? For example, you know, just, just to give an example, uh, which is an example of more recent times. Like WhatsApp works great in a lot of uh, uh, emerging markets, right? Okay. Now, WhatsApp usage is not that great in, uh, you know, in North America or Europe. But it's a rage across, uh, you know, uh, Southeast Asia, India, Latin America, and there are some nuances like that, right? Like, uh, for example, if you if you go look at uh, an emerging market, uh, email is not, you know, while we use email as a channel of communication, it's not a primary email. You know, if if we had to, you know, we were chatting, like, you know, it would be on on text messaging. I mean, teenagers are more comfortable doing it like that, right? But if you go to North America, there is a big emphasis of your how good your email solution is. Right. And I think these are nuances of the product, right? So you may have built for a global audience, but you have to go test it. And I think traveling across, uh, you know, different parts of the world, talking to organizations of different sizes, talking to different kinds of functions within that organization, right? So sometimes it's product, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes it's growth marketing, data-driven people, data analysts, you know, BI, all of that gives you a very unique perspective on, okay, well, there are some gaps in my product that I need to fill, right? So I come back, you know, go talk to uh, our product management, our engineering folks, and we fill up those gaps, right? So tomorrow when we are ready for some market, some, you know, market that's not uh, domestic, 
uh, your product uh, can very well work across all the all the boundaries so that was a very important part i think again the goal is not to go sell goal is to observe and learn and uh, you know uh, some sometimes just by showing and we are big believers you know as clever tap uh, personally uh, me also like big believers in showing the product not going through a bunch of slides uh, because slides it's like again to use an automobile analogy right i could show yeah. you the brochure of a car or i can take you on a test drive now you will only know you know how good the car is on road handling not by uh, you know how many bullet points i have in the brochure but when you are on the steering wheel and you actually drive the car similarly when you're showing the product when you're showing a demo and they see it in the real world like you know oh wow i can you know oh so i can perform analytics or i can segment my users or i can i can use these 15 channels of communication right i can i can mix and match different channels of communication to my users or find out the best channel that makes it real for them and you get reaction and because immediately followed by like you know wow this is what it is they will you know uh, any prospect uh, or anyone that you're demoing the product will go down to the details of okay so how does this work like you know what are the limitations of this thing can i send can i send xyz right can i do something here with this data that i am seeing can i export it out can i whatever right and those questions are actually if you're an observer and which you should be as product guy like you know you will get an excellent kind of a picture in your head of the of the you know the potential kind of things that a customer might be uh, you know uh, they might have uh, uh, you know they might uh, not know how your product works right those are the points that they want clarification on uh, for the lack of a better word right and and that goes two things like in the product that can also go on your website right like for example yeah. uh, you know a, a, a question we used to get frequently asked uh, in the earlier days was hey is my data secure like you know where are the is the data hosted and and so on and so forth right yeah. now it's on our website we say we are you know we have all the security certifications we let you do role based access control you know so it's a very secure platform and that question now goes away right so when you go now right. when i go now like you know to meet customers or prospect that that's question right. doesn't get asked right so that's again and you can do this for existing customers too like you know the more you go out because there is a difference right between people who are seeing the product for the first time and customers are using it and observing them and learning from them also right right so the learning curve is constant and you have to move out of your shell of building and actually observe how the user is taking it and maybe let him surprise you of your product and then build accordingly that's my cue from it and i could perhaps listen to you uh, speak about product thinking all day but i'll take a moment and perhaps you know move to uh, other things that i want to discuss so one thing that is again very fascinating and you spoken about this earlier in the past but if you can get a different perspective from you and how you look at it in hindsight now in terms of you know uh, how long you were in stealth with clever tap for right so from what i could gather there was one and a half two years where you were just building the product right as opposed to that common phrase that we hear on tweets that you know build and ship fast and you know ship broken right. things those are constant uh, things out there so given that you now have had time to maybe uh, you know evaluate that in hindsight what do you have to you know suggest to young entrepreneurs building products and how long should they take to perhaps launch it what should be you know the final edges that they they should consider and what's what's your entire ideology on stealth and launches i think uh, that uh, you know you should ship fast you should fail fast and when i say fail it's not like the you know it's not that the company goes away right but right. you should know the failure points right uh, and you should have an internal hypothesis for knowing whether this thing is going to work or not now coming closer home like you know for clever tap why did we take like you know 30 months to build our mvp so uh, remember i told you right first principles thinking if you have to provide your user that kind of an experience 
what will it take and if you have to do it in context at the right time so we had a two, we had we had observed two or three things right one is that the amount of data is growing exponentially as users you know uh, including apps on my phone like you know i have you know more number of apps than i can maybe you know remember that are there on my device uh, and also i do and i rely more and more on these uh, digital things to sort out my life right if i have to send you money for example i would use an app uh, in the good old days you know it would be like a wire transfer or if i had to go to the bank deposit a check or something like that right so our life is getting digital that means the phone is going to solve more and more use cases which means the amount of data is going to grow exponentially and as consumers we have very short attention spans right we get inter- we get um, interrupted by the real world we get interrupted by you know work we get interrupted by things that buzz and beep on the phone so if you put all of this in context and you say you still want to provide that experience that i spoke about earlier right like giving a five star experience to the user how do you do that that means you need something that's incredibly fast right that can consume this data in real time so i sh- i need to know that uh, jivraj is at the airport like say uh, you know mumbai airport he's at he's about to reach the gate 30a and his you know the gate, there's a gate change and if he does not realize it in time let's say you go to the lounge and you know you're chilling about and by the time you realize like you know it's already too late how do i inform this person right uh, but it has to happen in real time right, right. Uh, so we have to start about inventing what we call is uh, you know uh, it's internally called event store but that's a data storage and data processing technology of clevertap and we had we could not find anything in the market uh, competitive or otherwise that could give us this kind of speed that i'm talking about and again when you're doing analytics uh, say if, uh, there's a sports ground and if you broadly kind of look at all the people you can say there are about 15 people or there are 500 people you don't have to count every single one of them right you you'll be in the ballpark but if you had to for example arrange dinner for all of them right all the people that you see in a park or if you had to give them some sort of a, you know like a thank you card then you know to need to know exactly how many people are there in the park right any less and some will not receive it any more and you'll be you'll, you'll be left with some that you don't really want and if you compare and contrast this analogy to analytics and engagement Uh, when you have to send a message you need to know whether this guy is at the airport or not whether this guy has booked a flight or not you cannot send out a message to everyone saying that there's a gate change because for the one person who's taking that flight it's meaningful for the rest of the 99% it's it's spam right and they'll uninstall or delete your app or whatever right? they'll go away how do you make it happen you need a real time processing technology you need something that can not only ingest the data like you know into the into the data store but also make it available for action very quickly so the first 30 months of clever tap so we had this insight right and we started building uh, you know uh, like the engine of the car if you will right i mean it was not even the car engine of the car that took us some time and then we started putting a shell around it and the minimum viable product for us was the took 30 months right because we had to start from the very beginning if for those listening you know if your product can be built by off the shelf parts by all means do that right uh it's not very cool to uh you know start from the scratch because you will lose time for us it was an essential thing like you know so our decision was if we use like an existing database technology we will to my customers right to my prospects i will not be able to showcase them or maybe i will not be able to service customers beyond a certain scale today one of my largest customers has uh, 450 million uh monthly active users you know and that's just one of our several uh, you know customers so the point is that to be able to get to that level we said we have to you know dig the foundations of the building very deep depending upon how deep we dig the foundations it can become either a you know like a high rise or it can become like a two story apartment right 
building so these are decisions and these are uh, tricky decisions they sometimes come with a lot of experience sometimes right. they come with a lot of domain knowledge or sometimes uh, so don't get swayed away by like you know hey write my own browser or i will write my own uh, you know uh, protocol or something right by all means use something so that you know that this is not going to work you can come back and iterate right time and money both are limited and you only i mean you know you lose that every day so every time you don't ship every time you decide to wait that's a you know it's a you know you're losing valuable time right and money you may earn but time will not come back so that's lesson number 1 lesson number 2 is depending upon the industry in which you are if you are in the pharmaceutical industry to use a very relevant and contextual example you cannot play with people you know you you have to conduct the trials you have to make sure that whatever medicine you are you can't be fail fast right you can't be like okay i'll ship a broken product right so depending upon the industry or, or how much damage it can potentially cause if you are building like an app like you know like it's a social game Uh, or a chatting app i think it's all right you know if uh, you know can it, i mean you were allowed to break it like you know it doesn't matter really right you can always come back with a new version you can go with an iterative approach if you are in one of the industries that require high trust like automobile or you know insurance bank those models go away so for us like you know who sells to these businesses for us trust was very important uh, you can't lose data for a customer you can't uh, corrupt the data for the customer and you have to have extremely high fidelity of every single data point like the ports ground example i was giving you need right. to know the exact count you can't say well uh, uh, there are approximately 500 people you need to know it's 499 or 501 right. and depending upon that uh, and that's the hardest part right you know uh, for those of you who are engineers or uh, you know have an engineering background will know every uh, every nine uh, availability nine that you add like you know so five nines is the hardest uh, that's the uptime and you know four nines is is exponentially easier to do so th- these things took a lot of time for us and and that's why we could only ship uh, commercially having said that we were not building in isolation right and this is a very important and very interesting point throughout our journey of 30 months by the time we decided to kind of you know start and by the time we shipped commercially uh, like with a proper contract and pricing and all that we actually had a customer we were piloting with a few friendlies right. so we had a few uh, you know uh, uh, call it uh, serendipitously or luck or whatever you want to call coincidence we found a few that uh, were uh, you know that were willing brave enough to say okay i'm going to try clever tap they bet on us and they said okay we'll we'll try it right, right. so so that's 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 important to understand it was not like 30 months in the lab with nothing to show for yeah, yeah that's that would be terrible yeah 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 got it uh, like again very fascinated by what you had to say and i think it connects to the last point like you have to be so intricately building the product and understand in foresight what your customers need that you can't compromise on the quality so if you can build it fast go ahead and do that but if you can't then you take your time do your due diligence and build the right thing so that you don't lose out on trust that's a great cue again out there and loving the the answers that you're giving uh, furthermore you know one another thing that i found very interesting is that when we talk about saas everybody will typically start talking about you know the sales funnel things like that mm-hmm. dedicated sales team and how do you go about that and everybody wants that mantra you know how do we sell but in fact you you chose something else right you had some typically non conventional methods of selling if i may or you know marketing or spreading word of mouth or uh, what have you right so you you also sponsored an event for techcrunch and you had evangelists all across if i know correctly right so if you can perhaps you know 
tell us about those days what was the exact thought process of let's say not having a dedicated you know a team to sell and have only that later in the stage and start off with a way where it was so organic and so loved as a product that you automatically established yourself in the market yeah i think so uh, if you if you start from the start right it that belief comes from having a product hat on your head uh, working closely with customers uh, or, pro- or you know again customers not necessarily because they're paying you money or they have contracts etc but even uh, in the early days having a few friendlies who will use your product right like some some people who will say okay well uh, you seem to be on to something good and i will give it a try right early adopters right. is what the term is for the market but don't go find a whole bunch of early adopters you just need a, a handful uh, because in the early days product is broken and you will receive the same feedback from like you know i mean 50 if you have 50 customers they're going to receive 50 same you know suggestions from 50 people and you will get overwhelmed so it's better to have just a handful of those like you know uh, five or six is good and start working with them and building out uh, very very closely but uh, you know uh, you you mentioned saas metrics things like that right so uh, we are three founders none of us come from uh, the enterprise software background uh, we are all engineers product builders and uh, in the initial is we were so focused on product building because we you know you play to your strengths you build you you as you b- build your company you want to do things that uh, are not your favorite they're not the easy parts these are not easy parts product building is not easy but you 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 start off with something that you're absolutely sure about right so we started building the product and we had absolutely no idea about you know metrics like um, uh, you know mrr and other things like that or expansion revenue and i think uh, for early stage companies or people who are you know uh, about to take the plunge into entrepreneurship etc i think there will be a time for metrics right i compare this you know early stage startup or very early stage startup to like a young kid like you know as soon as the kid is born you're not deciding what you know the kid will be when they grow up like you know it's like okay you are going to become a aeronautical engineer or something like that right it's like okay let the child be right let them figure out the world first and then they once they have seen enough of it then they can get to like you know career paths and things like that i think uh, unless they are born with some inclination or something right i, I think software companies are like that right uh, in the early days you have a vision right you know where the ship is headed you don't know how exactly like in terms of solid right. timelines you don't know all the ups and downs that you will encounter on the way and that's that's the whole entrepreneurial journey it's fun like that uh, but you you don't start off on day one with metrics you don't become focused on like you know every little number in an excel sheet things like that so you have a little fun uh, or you have a lot of fun rather like you know we had a lot of fun in the early days when we were building the product out when we were working with customers interacting with them our you know goal was not to maximize revenue it was to make sure that we are maximizing the product so that was one of the objectives right and and of course now uh, seven and a, you know almost eight years later i can say uh, we are an extremely metrics driven company we have uh, uh, just to track uh, like sales numbers for example there are all kinds of things right uh, can clever tap of today predict what will be the revenue for the next quarter yes the, it's called pipeline forecasting or the strength of the pipeline do we know how much money we are going to collect from the customers do we know what's the churn rate going to be so we have gone extremely deep in metrics and once you're like off the ground once you're in the flying mode like you know like a pilot that you know the dashboard is full of all this things that shake and vibrate and color and you know lights and all that right you need to look at that to be able to you may not look at everything every time but you need for it to be available to you to to take a decision on your business right so we have gone to that stage now where all these metrics are very very important in the early days you are trying to make sure that you are product market fit 
or you're trying to make sure that you're solving enough problems of a customer, you're moving their needle uh, and you don't need to get metrics obsessed. The moment you get metrics obsessed, uh, you will find that, you know, I have these five customers. Why are they not paying me? They're, they're raising too many tickets, like, you know, or I need a customer success person or I need a marketing person. You don't need all of that. You just need a few handful of individuals. Again, I'm talking about very early stage company who will do, who will play a variety of roles. Uh, in our journey, we committed some mistakes. Uh, maybe this is a good time to talk about that. Uh, one of them was, uh, you know, so we wanted to announce that we have arrived and we, you know, once that core engine of the product was built and we, we put a, you know, some sort of a dashboard that you can log in and look at numbers and you can send campaigns. We wanted to go tell it to the world, right? So we said, okay, well, what's the hottest event in town? What's the biggest event uh, uh, in the Bay Area? And we'll go sponsor that. And of course, the timing has to match, right? So uh, good timing. And uh, that event was called uh, SF Disrupt TechCrunch. It was by TechCrunch you know, a publication we all love to read and they, they started like carrying news about startups and technology and things like that. Right. So extremely uh, wide user base. And we thought that we could, if we could become the, the top sponsor in that event, it would mean, uh, you know, it would mean that we have arrived again. Like, you know, uh, this is, uh, we had the money in the bank. Thankfully, by that time we had raised both our series seed and series yeah. A rounds. Uh, so we had enough money in the bank and we said, you know what, uh, what if this works, you know, for everything in life, it's like, Oh, what if this works? Right. So, you might encounter a hundred people say, no, 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 this is a bad idea. But you know, the little voice in your head will keep saying, what if this works? Right. So we had this moment of what if it works and we had no idea how to run that event. Right. So we we had bigger booths than I think Microsoft and uh, uh, I think it was Ford uh, at that event amongst wow. several others. And we had sponsored the Wi-Fi amongst other things. Uh, so you had to the SSI, the password for that, uh, you know, the Wi-Fi was clever tap. So everyone who had attached to the Wi-Fi, you know, like would, and data plans are not cheap in the US. So, you know, like, you know, that was everyone wanted to know the Wi-Fi. They came to our booth to thank, to thank us, all of that. At the end of that event, if you say, Anand, what was the ROI, like, you know, of that event, I would say grand total of zero, uh, but a lot of lesson learned, right? The hard lesson we learned was that uh, this, the problem is not the platform. The problem was not the event. The problem was us. We went unprepared, like, you know, we went on a lot of, uh, you know, that, hey, we are going to make it happen. We, it, it was a lot of delu uh, maybe deluding confidence, right? Or overconfidence, if you want to call it like that, right? We thought that we will crack it. There'll be a big uh, line of people wanting to work with CleverTap, uh, sign up CleverTap, and we learned like a lot of money very quickly. That never happened. And then you realize that, okay, well, even to do a marketing event, you need to be set up right, right? There is something called as, to go back to the metrics, there is something called as leads that you generated from an event. You have to run a nurture campaign. Uh, and there are, and these are and a lot of things we learned on the job, right? We have, but uh, we were never foolish enough to, you know, uh, to make it a fatal mistake, right? And uh, th there was there was a lot of this, and, and these, these mistakes that you make, the learning that you get out of them is part of the fun. Right. It's not a bad sign. I mean, we all, I mean, this is life, right? We all make mistakes. And as long as you don't do something stupid, that's fatal, you can always come back, recover from it, look back and say, okay, reflect on that and say, okay, wow, uh, this did not go as I expected. Let me try something better. Right. And that's, that's the cycle of human progress. So we did that early days. We did not know how to sell. We were uh, not selling the product. We, funnily, we did not know how to price the product, right? Because how would, you know, it's like, okay, like $100, $1,000. We didn't know what to, you know, how to price it. But what we also thought that we should start evangelizing the product. We should start showing the product to anyone that had 45 minutes or 30 minutes or anyone that I met at the airport lounge or in a hotel, in a bar. I could, I didn't care, honestly, Jivraj, uh, uh, like I've shown the product to people, uh, I've done one demo in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, like um, uh, wow. 
and the gallery yeah the gallery curator had to come and tell me you're not allowed to open your laptops here like you know you're here to admire art and i'm like okay well <laughs> this is my version of the art i made the product so i want to show you what it looks like uh, yeah. but uh, we used to show the product right and again the, uh, it's not evangelizing in the in the in the true sense of the word because we were not trying to tell the world that this is the new way of doing things right we were just trying to learn again to what i was saying earlier right like show the product to someone and see their reaction see whether they understand it or that everything is going over their head and not making sense at all and i think in in uh, doing that evangelization part you know and it was not just the founders doing it it was not just the early hire everyone was doing it right everyone was giving a demo to a prospect again quote unquote prospect they may not be really prospects right. uh, they might just be people who are interested curious to know hey what does your startup do right or we got them through a hustle right like uh, someone knew someone and before you know i'm giving a demo of the product but that meant that as an organization we had a lot of knowledge of what are the problems of the world like you know in our universe in right. in the uh, the experience we wanted to give you know the the fantastic experience we wanted to provide um, you know our customers users like you know and what are the hurdles and and that is something that you can't learn through surveys you can't learn that through you know like uh, you know like brainstorming sessions you have to go out in the wild and you have to get that feedback from from the uh, prospects or users and that helped us tremendously right right got it so it's so glad to see the candidness in accepting the mistakes and you know actually understanding what what they were and how you could have improved it and i love the passion which is so evident because uh, you're one of the few founders who've come and said that we were we had a lot of fun when building the product and you know it was such a learning uh, process for you which is for everybody but it's great how you've described it so so wonderful to hear that and maybe you know a follow up in terms of the metrics so you've spoken about two things right a, a completely metric driven company now and also monetization so maybe like whatever suits you best and wherever you think levetaps you know uh, a game lies if you can tell us what as a saas company are the metrics to look at because i know there's a lot of jargon available but in practicality what it is that you look at on let's say a quarterly or a weekly or a monthly basis and if you have any tips for monetization although i understand that it's very subjective given from product to product it will vary but if you have any cues that that be wonderful and then we can take a deep dive into a last segment about you sure so again metrics are also uh, i would not say subjective but uh, they are stage dependent right. so if you are an early stage company um, all you care about is uh, are you signing contracts right now they may be small contracts they may be big contracts it doesn't matter right and you can measure that on a quarterly cadence or a monthly cadence right if you are a slightly larger organization like ours right like um, uh, to to give a sense we are about 300 people across six geographies you need to look at metrics on a daily basis almost right you need to have called shots uh, you need to so anyway so my point was not to you know say how large or big we are but just to say that the the breadth of the metrics that you should track there are few metrics that you should not never lose a sight of uh, one is the uh, you know monthly uh, recurring revenue these are not contracts these are actually re- revenue re- realizations right that means you are able to generate an invoice in some cases you may not be able to generate an invoice until the integration is completed in a lot of like top tier companies they raise an invoice whether the integration is done or not like you know so the moment you sign on the contract it's due the the, the payment is due and for every small company you know uh, listening here like you know the aspiration is to get to that stage right where you you know whether the integration is done or not you, you have the ability to raise an invoice a lot of the companies you know uh, uh, won't raise the invoice until integration is done and until the customer says yeah i'm now happy with everything that i see you may go ahead and raise an invoice but you can boil that down to monthly recurring revenue that's one 
the second metric is uh, what is the churn like how many customers went away uh, the reasons of the churn which is not metrics but you need to go deep dive uh, more than you know who you are signing you have to be more uh, uh, focused on who you are losing and why are they going away right is it product breadth is it depth is it a non understanding of the product is it competition is it something else right maybe they've gone in house like you know with a solution right uh, they trust their engineers more than third party product things like that right other metric is expansion revenue expansion revenue by definition means how the ability for you to land an account which is you know let's say you signed a contract for 100 dollars right per annum and next year you get an expansion revenue that means the usage of your product has increased in the company and now the contract is worth 120 dollars so the 20 extra would be expansion revenue okay. expansion revenue is a great sign of health of the company that the product has penetrated deep and right. you are able to make money from the existing base of customers right, right. so it's like a compound interest if you will right to use a finance terminology and i think uh, again unfortunately you can only measure that compounding or that expansion after after the contract comes up for renewal you cannot do it so that's like a, you know like so there might be some leading metrics there might be some lagging metrics and you have to kind of keep an eye on both so sorry for giving a very broad and generic answer but uh, you know i wish i had a more direct answer but depending upon the stage of the company your metrics will change right um, and uh, it also means how many prospects are you talking to one simple rule of the thumb is if you hire a new sales guy have them open conversations with at least 80 prospects right 80 to 100 prospects rather like you know that means phone calls meetings one on ones whatever it does it take right yeah. and before you know they will be able to close their first sale right so that is also called like you know when you hire a sales guy how quickly can they close their first sale right that's also a metric that you should track as a business and and yeah. these kind of things got it got it that that's very helpful and you know i am loving again each bit of this conversation and there's so many thoughts flowing in my head but i'll control them but i have one last question on clevertap because this has been interesting uh, given that you have been global since day one and you talk about you know how one of the co-founders actually shifted to the us and set up shop there and you have now have decentralized offices uh, everywhere i want to understand a bit about you know how to manage culture in an organization which is decentralized and remote because we understand that remote teams are now the the go to move for the world and the world has flattened so it is different now but you've been doing this for a while now so uh, if you have any tips to has to how to get cross communication done between teams which are across geographies that be wonderful and how to maintain culture in that aspect yeah so culture is tricky i'll start with communication and then i'll come down to culture right uh, sure. a lot of the communication happens in a synchronous mode that means you expect the other person to be in front of you at that point of time mm-hmm. so that you can quickly have a conversation make a decision if there is one to be made and then uh, you know uh, act on the decision right with remote working or with the decentralized offices with people not being in the same time zone you have to very quickly come to asynchronous communication that means you should be comfortable deciding on you know when the other person is not around that means leaving a message for the person whether it's on um, you know your communication tool email could be whatsapp could be anything really right and and finding so after a lot of asynchronous back and forth like email is a great asynchronous medium right i can send you an email and you can respond back whenever you have some 5 minutes or 10 minutes to respond back and then i can respond back also right and after a certain point we can both kind of catch up synchronously like on a video call or maybe on a phone call and this and make a final decision right we uh, you know went into that mode very early in the life of clevertap 
And if you look at Clever Tap, for example, like the leadership is also distributed. Not everyone is here in, in Mumbai with me, right? So Suresh, uh, who's my other fellow founder, he and I are in Mumbai. We have our head of HR here uh, again in Mumbai. But the CRO, like the chief revenue officer, is based out of London. Our uh, CEO, which also my founder Sunil, is based out of Mountain View. Head of product CPO is based out of uh, Seattle, who's Vishal. Uh, so you have to very quickly like learn to work with a distributed organization uh, asynchronously, right? That means a lot of communication happens not through verbal dialogue, but also written dialogue, right? In fact, we've recently we have switched to all of our meetings being in the written format. That means we create a memo and someone sends that memo uh, as a pre-read to the meeting. Uh, and everyone who joins at the same time, let's say we were on the same meeting, we would comment on that memo as opposed to verbally discussing because comments are forever, right? I mean, once you put it there, it's there in the doc while, you know, verbal stuff can be forgotten uh, easily, right? So that's the communication part. Now, how do you take care of culture? How do you, uh, you know, how do you solve for culture? Culture is again, uh, you know, there are several definitions of culture and that's a tricky one to kind of tame. But uh, culture uh, is, uh, culture starts from the top. It starts from the founders. And I, when I say top, it, it no, I'm not trying to uh, denote hierarchy of the organization. Uh, it's top is like people who came in first, right? So the founder started the company, starts with the founders, and then the next set of hires and so on and so forth, right? Until you have like a lot of people in a lot of places. And it's hard, right? It's, it's not the written word that counts in culture. It's the actions in how do you deal with tricky situations, right? If you're uh, one of the cultural values is not what you write, but what you do. And more so, what you do, do you do when the leaders are not involved in decision-making, for example, right? Do you do the right thing or do you do the convenient thing? Are you transparent or are you opaque? Are you a friendly organization, right? Or, um, and I'm very carefully choosing my words, or you're a high throughput, high standards organization, right? Which might also be friendly. So yeah. you hold each other accountable to the highest standards, right? And these are tricky things. As I said, it's a, it's a hard uh, beast to tame. But you can, uh, you know, uh, again, it starts from the top, starts from the very people. And then culture mutates over. It's not a fixed thing, right? It's not like, okay, this culture will never change. It has to adapt to new people joining the organization. It has to adapt to new realities of life. And it has to adapt like, like right now we are all remote. So is everyone else in the world. But, you know, uh, at least from our point of view, everyone's remote. And one of the cultural elements now is that, you know what? Uh, it's okay if you are a little late for the meeting, right? Because you might be, or it's okay if you, you know, if you carry your kid to the meeting because, uh, you know, the kid might need your attention, right? Or we are just more human, right? About, about other uh, uh, teammates, right? It's just like the right thing to do, right? I mean, we are all quote unquote trapped indoors. Uh, right. with, uh, we're not social anymore, things like that, right? Again, these are not cultural things. This is kind of boundaries of cultural versus, uh, you know, how do you show empathy? How do you uh, deal with other people in the organization? But it's a very important part, right? Because this shows culture also. This is a demonstration of culture. If I were to like start logging hours, everyone put like, you know, that would be a terrible culture. I would not want to work in such place. But that would be an absolutely okay thing to do in, a, in you know, when your people are going to offices, right? They, people used right. to have punch cards and all sorts of tracking of login, log out. Uh, not that we had that. We never had that. But it was okay, right? But if you start doing the same thing when people are remote and in a st- as stressful as a situation as it is right now, uh, that would be terrible. So... Every culture is also different. There is no, uh, you know, it's like, it's like family, right? Every family lives a little differently from others. And, and that's okay if it works for the family, right? Uh, and there is no perfect as a culture, right? There's no perf- there's specimen, you know, exhibit A of the perfect way to do it, right? There is no perfect way, right? Whatever works for everyone, right? You know, you may have a laid back culture. You may have a very urgent culture. Like everything has to be done today, right? Whatever works for you is what you should 
what it should you should let it be and culture is an own responsibility for every person in the organization including the one who just joined recently right uh, it it's owned by everyone it's not just the founder's problem it is not just the leadership's problem and i think with that mindset if you approach it it becomes nice and fluid and and that's my uh, way of looking at culture wow that that that's very beautiful again and i love some of the elements that you mentioned there and you know the fact that you have to make a choice like you don't have to tame culture according to what seems best you, but you have to be cognizant about what you want to do and then go out there and actually walk the talk as you mentioned and i also loved you know how you mentioned about the written memos for the meetings that that's wonderful anand thanks for that line of thought uh, here i want to talk a bit about you know some abstract concepts that i've been lucky to gather from a uh, research and also from one of the previous guests so i hosted narayan thamaya of axel who was very kind to uh, tell a couple of words about you where he described you as a storyteller and go getter right and both of these qualities in its very succinct manner are very important for an entrepreneur at the very surface level but what i'd like you to probably you know reflect upon and tell us as to how you've exhibited this in reality and how has it helped you build a uh, clever tap along with your co-founders i think storytelling is a very important element uh, in life in general right and a lot of entrepreneurs and this might be bias in my head right a lot of entrepreneurs are very good storytellers right uh, because storytelling what is storytelling right storytelling is telling uh, is the ability to imagine a future uh, ability to imagine something that is not there right that's like you know you you're you're creating fiction if you will right what is that fiction that fiction is like you don't have a product but you're going pitching to an investor you don't have a product you're pitching it to a customer you don't have the current version of the product you know is is the reality and when you also have the vision to work on the reality to make it the new reality right to kind of go and make that fiction happen so it's not storytelling in that sense where you know it's like uh, uh, no one remembers that story but this is something that you work as an entrepreneur you make it happen that uh, the story that you were telling so one of the things you know i mean this has helped me a lot by the way this is you know i mean i uh, when we went to collect our seed round from axel right uh, i mean we are terrible at making uh, pitch decks uh, we just don't know as a company i think we don't know how to make decks uh, you know as individual sunil and i suck at making it and so does suresh you know because engineers are never required to make decks right so we never uh, kind of developed that muscle yeah. right so when it was time to pitch to axel to raise money we uh, you know we were, i mean they would send us an email every few hours saying that hey can you send us a deck Uh, as a pre-read to the you know the IC meeting, and we would always say, yeah, yeah, we're working on it. Just like a few more touches, yeah, wo. because we never had a deck and we didn't know how to make one, right? So we tried. It's not that we didn't try; we tried. We just couldn't come up with a deck. So uh, in the end, when we landed uh, uh, in Bangalore, which is where the Axel office is, on a Monday morning, I think it was like the meeting was set for seven thirty or eight. We showed up and we didn't have a deck, like you know, so. the usual questions were like do you need an hdmi do you need a you know like that vga port connector and hdmi like no no we don't need any of that I'm like okay so how are you going to do this we said we'll start with a story so i told a story uh, it's called the wow. james bond story and uh, the james bond story got us 1.6 million dollars of seed capital uh, wow. enough to kind of uh, you know uh, continue or or build upon what we had started working on so we had a product that we were working on before this mm-hmm. but that 1.6 kind of you know we were able to hire the first set of engineers to double down on the efforts uh, and uh, and produce uh, you know the first version of clever tap 
Wow, that that is one story <laughs> I'm going to remember. And by now, I can testify to the fact that you know I love the way you are going about explaining everything that has happened in the past and your vision. And it's so evident in the thought process that you're exhibiting. So it's been a treat already. Uh, the next question is also very interesting, and I want your opinion on this. But you know, you've spoken a bit about you know how a serendipity has played a role in your you know uh, career and in terms of clever tap as well. And uh, you. You know, there's been a lot of written about it as well, but I'd love to know how, what you think about serendipity, about creating luck, or you know, how has have you encountered this in your time span as a founder? Yeah, I think um, yeah. So we have been extremely lucky in CleverTap. I've been extremely lucky in my life to having to have met the right people at the right time. Uh, in the you know, uh, whether they are investors, whether they are my co-founders, whether they are the uh, you know the early set of uh, people that work for CleverTap, including the early set of people that work for my previous startup, like Burp, like, you know, we were incredibly lucky. Uh, I had just come back from the US. I did not know anyone here. You know, I grew up in Ahmedabad, but I started, you know, Burp started in, in, in Bombay. And uh, again, this is, this goes beyond, I mean, this is pre-Facebook, this is pre-Google, uh, local in, in Google in India. There's no, I mean, you, where do you even go start? There is no fair WhatsApp group that you can create and you can get engineers and all that, right? Uh, and this predates Flipkart's, uh, you know, so there was no startup ecosystem in India, but extremely lucky. Now, how do you create luck, right? I believe that what, what uh, you know, what you call luck or serendipity is actually manufactured, right? You can, you have to get lucky. Now, how do you get lucky, right? You get lucky by doing a lot of paid forward, right? You get lucky by doing a lot of things that don't, you don't expect a return immediately. Like I'll give an example. Book My Show became the first customer of CleverTap. And uh, they were the, in fact, they were the first ones to pilot CleverTap, right? So there was a story that Ashish, uh, you know, called me that he want, he had an idea of, you know, what he wanted to solve for his customers, that not everyone watches the uh, uh, same set of movies or not everyone watches the same frequency. Uh, but the email newsletters they used to send, like, you know, back in the days used to be the same newsletter to everyone. So he called me up with a concept saying that, hey, Anand, uh, you know, what's the, what's the right way to do it? And I went and pitched like, you know, what, uh, the storytelling part, right? I went and pitched what CleverTap was about to make and he signed up, right? On the spot. Now, how did that happen? How do I know Ashish? Uh, so this story goes back like, you know, three, four years uh, before that, where, you know, I mean, uh, one day, like, you know, they had a little of a production crisis. They got wildly more successful than they thought they would get. And the database started slowing up and, you know, their site would not, uh, you know, uh, load in the time that they wanted it to load at. And a, a mutual friend connected us both and I helped them out again with no expectation of a reward, uh, etc. Right. So I, I told them database trading, scaling strategies and how do you scale? And I helped them through a few uh, kind of iterations of that. And that was it. A few years later, like, you know, uh, you know, he reached out again, we don't hang out every day, but you know, he reached out with a problem statement saying that, Hey, is there a way to solve this? And I found my first customer. So now you can call me lucky, or you can say that, you know what, you did something in the past without any expectation and then paid off. And I think this is life, right? You, yeah. you have to be good to people. Uh, you have to do things, you have to help out as much as you can. And once you start doing that, it will come back these dots, as Steve Jobs said, connect, uh, you know, on hindsight, uh, you can never plot them, you can never say today, if I do something, you know, this is going to happen in the future, but they on the hindsight, everything will connect back. And I'm a massive believer in that a lot of my life stories are shaped around that story for some other day. 
Yeah, but again, like I could, I could only say wow here because this has been my mini TED talk of you know how to get lucky by you. So thanks for the pleasure. But on to my you know final question, if I may, and this is perhaps my favorite question. But so so I kind of admire Vinod Khosla, right? And he's mentioned one of the times that the single hardest thing for an entrepreneur is to decide whose advice to take and when, right? And you've yes. across the years, I'm sure, been surrounded by some really great people, right? So you talk about our Ashish, you've had some great investors on board, Axel, Sequoia, Tiger Global, you name it, and you have them. And you've also spoken about that story of how Mohit Bhatnagar on your board suggested, you know, that you monetize the product and then you went ahead and did it, I guess, right? So what I'm trying to essentially eye at is that as an entrepreneur, how do you exactly, you know, stay by that phrase? And what is your mental model to actually decide uh, whom to go to and whom to listen to and then decide in a situation which is, uh, if I may call it cumbersome in nature? Yeah, I, I wish I had a formula to be honest here. Like, uh, there is a lot of, there's a lot of advice floating around, right? Solicited, unsolicited. If you go to Twitter, there's a lot of people with, with tweet storms, threads, of how they did something, right? There are playbooks available. You have investors, you have other entrepreneurs, you have friends, you have family, you have uh, employees, you have uh, you know other leaders that you interact with randomly, right? Or casually, right? And everyone, if you ask, you know, uh, if you say, hey, you know, how would you do X? Or if, you know, they might have an advice for you. I think the it's like, you know, the, I would use the advice as compass and not as a map. Uh, the difference between a compass and a map, a compass tells you where the north is, a map tells you how to get there, right? And I think I would not go down to the specifics on the advice. If someone says North America is a big market, I would not ask them, you know, where do you start? Like, you know, they've shown me the compass. They've said, go there. I would not say, hey, should I start in Pennsylvania? Should I go to like San Francisco? Should I go uh, Boston? Uh, that's for me to figure out. So the map is always yours. The compass, If you if you think of it like that, then every advice is valuable and you can be inspired by anyone, right? I mean, I, I read quite a bit, both offline and online, and I'm inspired by the, you know, the, the most shady characters, right? It is not because, uh, it is not because they were shady, but because, you know what, they thought beyond the ordinary, right? They thought something bigger, larger, grander, right? And can you think like that? And that is the compass according to me, right? Now, each person has to triangulate for their own, uh, you know, like uh, even growing up in India, you know, you get advice by everyone. Uh, what your life choices should be. You should become a doctor. No, you should become an engineer. No, you should become a lawyer. Uh, you should uh, run your father's business, things like that. I think you have to carve your own path, right? So use the compass analogy, use the map analogy and say, okay, I'm going to decide how I get there. Uh, advice can come from anywhere. So I listen to everyone, but we do what we, you know, um, what we want to do. Beautiful again. And, you know, I, I've loved all of these ideologies, anecdotes, the car analogies, and all of the stories as of now. And I wouldn't take too much of your time now. But if you could leave us with a parting thought after an immensely wonderful conversation, that would be wonderful. Given that our audience, if you may want to, you know, perhaps talk to 20, 25 year olds who will build the future of India, who will go on to build companies like yours and go on to dominate the global scale, what would you like to tell them? And what would be your parting thought? You know, it's an incredible time to be in India. It's an incredible time to be an entrepreneur. And when I say entrepreneur, I don't mean go start a business. That is one way to be an entrepreneur. You can also join someone in their mission. That is also entrepreneurship, right? I have been an entrepreneur. I have been, a, you know, like an engineer in, in large companies. And I will always have worn the entrepreneurial hat. I've thought 
of whatever I did as if it was I was doing it for me. I was running my own company. Uh, even when I used to work for companies like Motorola and and some extremely large companies, right? I I always had that entrepreneurial hat. So think entrepreneurially. Think problem solving. It's an incredible time. Uh, you know, we have a massive domestic population that needs solutions, that needs problem solving. We you your world is the oyster. The world is super connected now. Uh, I started uh, about ten to eight years ago. Uh, you know, writing my first uh, shrink wrap software for a desktop computer, three eight six. It was an Intel desktop running Windows, all of that. Things were not very well connected then, right? I was in Ahmedabad. Uh, it was like a tier two, solid tier two town in in Western India. The world is connected. You can be in any part of the world, right? You can be uh, for those in India. There is no disadvantage, as several entrepreneurs have shown us, right? Or uh, you know, Mukesh Ambani showed us last year, right? That in the middle of the lockdown. he went and collected a few billion dollars like you know from the who's who of the world so it's possible if we can do it so can us right uh, the constraints are the same so think beyond uh, of the constraints and say that okay how can i how can i dream big and how can i achieve it so that's all i want to leave everyone with wonderful this has been an absolute treat thank you so so much anand it's been an honor and pleasure to be able to host you and have this spectacular conversation with you thank you so much Jivraj thank you very much you are a wonderful host and you made me very comfortable i enjoyed our conversation thank you great questions thank you wow that was spectacular that was anand jain of clever tab for all of you my greatest takeaways from the episode include a bunch of things but especially the way anand explains product thinking and donning the entrepreneurial hat he talks about some key observations in terms of talking to users observing user behavior and developing products all of these are key learnings applicable at almost all stages and very helpful even as i curate this very podcast another thing that really stood out for me is the last aspect clevertap has some really great partners on board which is a great cue for sure but the more underlying observation is how aptly he mentions about advice saying that one should treat it as a compass which shows the direction but almost always one should find that pathway themselves finally the candid nature and the vibe from anand is truly special he mentions that they were having a lot of fun while building the product the way he mentioned it is something that i shall truly take back from the episode thank you so much for tuning in i hope you liked the episode as much as i did That was it from the 27th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast Building a Global SaaS Company with Anand Jain of Clevertap. This episode was brought to you in association with The Skeptic Investor authored by Ashutosh and Mishal. The Skeptic Investor is a weekly newsletter navigating Indian startups and emerging tech. Check it out with the link in the description and do not forget to subscribe. Thanks a ton folks do provide feedback through our WhatsApp route or feedback form or check out my Calendly for a quick chat Thank you again for tuning in I will see you next week for another episode Till then I hope you recall if you never try you'll never know Stay tuned and keep building